No, like, isn't that fantastic that you made it possible for us to support so many agencies and so many people that are doing such great things, and hopefully we're going to be able to do more and more of that. Thank you for being faithful all through 2020, just uh, amazing your faithfulness uh, and, and God's faithfulness through this past year. Um, so glad that you are worshiping with us. Glad the folks who are worshiping online are there as well. As we mentioned, we're going to be expanding our online ministry and our ability to live stream uh, very shortly. So looking forward to rolling that out as well. We are in a study of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's a couple of books before Psalms. So if you want to go ahead and find it in your Bible, middle of your Bible, Psalms, take a left, couple books, you'll be in Nehemiah. Um, I don't have time to catch you up on every place that we've been, but our our, our services or uh, the videos are on Facebook currently, and they'll be on our website. So if you uh, get interested today and you didn't hear the first couple of teachings on this subject, then uh, jump back and catch those. We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, and if I could kind of fast forward to where we are right now, this is the situation as we uh, begin Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah in chapter 2 has moved from the emotional response that he had to a spiritual response. And in chapter 2, now he's moving to a practical response. Right, the, the whole story started, if you remember, Nehemiah gets news that Jerusalem is in ruins. He's serving the king in Persia. The walls are down. The people are disgraced. God is disgraced. His heart is broken over that. So he works through this season of grieving. He has, he has an emotional response, which leads to... A spiritual response because he begins to pray. He begins to say, God, what am I going to do about this? What do you want me to do about this? How am I supposed to be a part of this? And so when we get to chapter 2, we realize that not only was he responding emotionally and spiritually, but he was responding practically as well. And, and I don't mean these are sequential. I don't mean... He grieved, and then he got over that, and then he prayed, and then he got over that, and then he did something practical. It's sort of like the stages of grief, right? They're kind of, you start at one, and then you go to four, and then two, and then six, and then back to one. And it's not really a sequential move that, that I, I'm explaining. As he was grieving, he began to pray, and as he grieved, and as he prayed, he began to ask himself what practically can I begin to do, which is a necessary step. If you have anything to rebuild in your life, if you see something in your community or in our world that needs to be rebuilt, at some point, it has to get to a practical response, right? All solutions eventually have to become practical solutions. Just thinking about a problem doesn't solve a problem. Just grieving over a problem, as, as important as that can be, we talked about that, but just grieving over a problem that you see is not the same as solving a problem. I would even say just praying about a problem, as significant as that is, just praying about a problem isn't solving a problem. At some point, every solution has to move from just being an emotional response or just being a prayer response, and it has to become a practical response. Now, I would say you can't jump all the way to the practical either. 
Like you have to have an emotional connection if you want to solve something. You, you have to work through the spiritual aspect of it. We can't decide, hey, this will work, this plan will work, and then say, hey, God, would you be okay with this plan? Right? Or, or, or we can't say, you know, this will work. How can I define my spirituality in such a way that will allow me to do it? Right? We can't reverse engineer our spirituality into something that we think will work, which we sometimes try to do. I think this will work, so let me try to explain it in a way that God would be okay with it. The emotional and the spiritual are important and necessary steps, but at some point, there's got to be a plan. Right? There's got to be practical steps to whatever we're trying to solve. Chapter 2 is where we begin to see that that was happening in the life of Nehemiah. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. This is Nehemiah speaking. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Uh, we said last week, to catch some of you up, Nehemiah was the cupbearer, which this was a trusted position for the king because the, the cupbearer not only brought out the wine, the cupbearer made sure the wine wasn't poisoned, that nobody was trying to kill the king. So this is an extremely trusted position that Nehemiah was in. But notice how chapter 2 starts. In the month of Nisan, which means nothing to us because we don't have a month of Nisan. Our calendar is completely different from their calendar. Here's what it means. Between chapter 1 and the end of Nehemiah's prayer and chapter 2, four months have gone by. It's been four months that Nehemiah has been praying. If you remember how the prayer ended, if you kind of look back up at the end of chapter 1, Nehemiah prays, give your servant success today. Give your servant success today. The problem was, today didn't come for four months. Right? Have, you ever, have you ever had a today that lasted four months? Well, of course we have. We lived through 2020, right? Every day lasted four months last year. Right? You know what it's like to want something now, but it not happen now. That our today was not God's today. See, that's Nehemiah's problem. Nehemiah's today wasn't the same as God's today. God had a whole other today. You, you and I experience that sometimes. Our today and God's today aren't always the same today. We pray today and then tomorrow we pray today and tomorrow and the next day we pray today and months go by. This is, this is the situation Nehemiah's in. Today, today, four months, today, today, today. And it starts to weigh on Nehemiah. I did it starts to burden Nehemiah. He starts to carry this as a weight in his life. Now, on this particular day, when chapter 2 opens up, it was weighing on Nehemiah so much that he didn't hide it. Um, apparently, for four months, he had had a pretty good facade. He had put on a 
pretty good face. He had fooled everybody, but the beginning of chapter 2, Nehemiah didn't fool the king, which is a problem. It's a problem because not only was the cupbearer supposed to test the wine and bring the wine, but whenever they had wine, it was a time to celebrate. Right? Part of the role of the cupbearer was to provide uh, an atmosphere of celebration and joy and happiness. He was not supposed to be sad, but after months and months of waiting on God, Nehemiah was, was burdened. Like he couldn't hide it anymore. There's a, there's a meme, I think it's been turned into a t-shirt that says, I didn't mean to make that face out loud, right? Some of you do that. I didn't mean to make that face out loud. That's kind of where Nehemiah was. I didn't mean for you to know what I was really thinking. I didn't mean for it to come out so you could see how I was feeling about that. Nehemiah doesn't keep it hidden. The story continues. Verse 3, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? We may have been tempted in that moment, right? When the, when the king noticed we may have been tempted, Nehemiah may have been tempted to play it off, right? Oh, so I was just thinking about something. My mind was a long way away. I'm sorry. Let's get back to wine and celebration. That was not Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah decided this was the moment to step up. This was the moment to step forward. I have been praying for four months for it to be today, and maybe today's today. Maybe this is the moment. So Nehemiah steps into this moment. Look, if you're rebuilding something this year, if you're rebuilding a relationship, if you're rebuilding your spiritual habits, if you're rebuilding your marriage, if you're rebuilding your family, if you're rebuilding a career, if you're rebuilding anything this year, there is a moment when you have to decide it's time. This is the moment God wants me to step forward. I need to take the next Step. Yes, take the time to grieve. Take plenty of time to pray. Be patient. Wait on what God wants to do in your life. Wait on how God's going to set this whole thing up. But at some point, you got to move. You got to step into it. You, you, you got to move forward. And this is where Nehemiah is in chapter two. I don't know if today's today, but here it is. I'm going to step forward and see what happens. Here's the king's response in verse 4. The king said to me, What is it you want? What is it you want? And this is the point in the story where we realize Nehemiah has, has not only been grieving, and he's not only been praying. Nehemiah has been planning. As those other things were going on, Nehemiah had been planning while he was praying. He wasn't just grieving. He wasn't just 
praying. He was planning. He was putting details together. A part of his prayer must have been, okay, God, well, how would we do this? Yes, I'm burdened by that. Yes, I'm broken by, I want that to change. So, God, here's what I want to know. How would we do that? What would it look like practically if we started to do it? What are the materials that would be needed? How long would it take? And Nehemiah has no idea when that moment is going to present itself. Nehemiah has no idea when the door is going to open. Nehemiah just wants to be ready. Let me ask you this question. What would you do if God said yes to your prayer? Whatever you're praying about. Whatever that big thing is for you. Whatever you're rebuilding. Whatever that dream is. Whatever that goal is. Whatever thing God has put in your heart. That right now you would say, I wish, fill in the blank. I've been praying, fill in the the blank. What would happen if God said yes to that today? What would be your next move? Because if you don't know what your next move would be, maybe you're not ready for a yes. And maybe you're not getting a yes because God knows that a yes would be wasted on you because you don't know what you would do on the other side of yes. You don't know what the next step would be after yet. Nehemiah knew what the next step was. As a matter of fact, when the king said, what do you want? He immediately responded. Look at the rest of verse 4. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, right? And this is one of those like really quick, God help me, right? Don't let me blow this, right? Don't let me mess this up, God. Tell me the words to say. Just like really quick. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? In other words, the king wants to know some details. Like, how well is this planned out? Is this just kind of a harebrained idea? I want some specifics. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. After four months of asking for it to be today, the king said, What do you want And Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted. Nehemiah began to give a plan. Listen, just just kind of a practical thought. If someone in authority over you, if your supervisors, the person you reports to, if, if they thought about giving you a yes, what would you say? If if the person directly over you said, what would you do if we put you in that position? And your response was, I don't know, it was just an idea I had. They are probably not going to put you in that position. If the person directly over you says, well, what if we do that thing that you just mentioned? And you say, I don't know, I hadn't really thought of it thought anything about it beyond that, then they're probably not going to give you a yes. They're probably not going to give you a yes. Nehemiah had prayed. He had grieved, but he had 
planned. And God said, yes, today. Now look, it doesn't have to be a perfect plan. We don't have to know everything. We're going to see that in just a little bit. There's only so much you can know. But there needs to be a plan. When you continue to read in Nehemiah chapter 2, what you find is Nehemiah rolling out all of these details. Like after he sets a time frame of when he would go and when he would come back, Nehemiah says, now look, I'm going to need some letters from you to get through the territories between here and there. Right? Because they're not going to let me pass through. These other governors, these, these other kings are not going to let me go through their communities, their countries, Unless I have a letter from you, can I get all the letters I'm going to need to get there and get back? He'd already thought this through. And then he said, by the way, you're a really powerful guy. You could pull some strings. We're going to need some timber. Could you call the guy over the royal park? And we're going to need this much timber. Like he makes all of his asks. He has all of his details. Can you do this? Can you help me with this? Look. I know that God often does the unexpected. I know that God often does the miraculous. I'm not saying he doesn't. I am saying that God is also a God of order and planning. You look at the universe. He is a God of order and planning. When you look at the human body, he's a God of order and and planning, right? The reason we trust mathematics and engineering is because the God of the universe is a God of order and planning. It is okay to think through the details of order and planning. Now, here's what happens a little bit later. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was writing on. So, so here's what's happening. There were parts of the plan that Nehemiah couldn't know until he started moving. Right? How to get from here to Jerusalem, he could plan that out. He had, an, he had an idea of the materials that he would need, but he had never been in Jerusalem. He didn't know what the situation looked like in Jerusalem. There was a part of the plan that he could see and he acted on, and then there was another part of the plan that he had to figure out when he got there. Right? Look, you and I don't have to know the entire plan in order to get started. Sometimes that's what bogs us down, that's what slows us down. So we think, well, i got to know everything. No, you got to know enough to get started sometimes. You've got to invest the work, the mental energy, the prayer work. you got to invest the work on the front end to know how to get things going. But there, you're not going to see the whole project all at once. That's where Nehemiah is. He has enough foresight in order to get moving forward. And then as he moves forward, he'll begin to see more and more. Now, it's interesting when you read the story that Nehemiah explores the wall. He explores the city at night by himself. Right? He goes, he, when he gets back to Jerusalem at night, nobody else is, is awake. Nehemiah is going around. He's inspecting. He's, he's seeing where does the work need to be done. He's, and he's not ready to roll that out for public. Right? 
He's, he's keeping that to himself. He's putting plans together in his mind. He's praying. He's making notes. He's thinking through details. It's a mistake that we sometimes make if we're in leadership or, or if we just have something that we want to accomplish. We roll out this really vague concept, this really vague idea before it's ready for public consumption. And social media makes it a hundred times worse, right? Because people live their lives publicly, and so they get, they get this one idea, and they go public with it, and they have no idea what they're going to do with it after that, and nobody really believes them because this is like the 40th thing they've rolled out, and then they never actually finished. Like, Nehemiah says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out for me before I start rolling it out to other people. Often, what God is calling you to, it needs time, right? It, need, it needs to crock pot a little bit, right? It, it needs to marinate a little bit. Like you need to pray a little bit long instead of declaring, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is the next thing I'm going to start. This is my new venture. Right? Instead of rolling that out at the beginning... Do some night work like Nehemiah did. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to hold this close for now. Because here's the reality. Sometimes people aren't ready for your vision. And sometimes your vision's not ready for people. Sometimes we... We blast this big idea and people aren't real sure what to do with it. But sometimes our vision is not tangible enough that other people can grab onto it. It's just kind of this vague general idea with, with, with no way for people to grab onto. Nehemiah is trying to protect what God has given him to do from that faith. When, when Nehemiah rolls it out, he wants people to be able to go, I see it. I understand. So that's how I can be a part of it. He wants him to be able to grab onto it. Verse 17. Nehemiah's ready to roll it out to the people. Then I said to them, after all of this prayer, and all of the emotion, and all of the planning, and all of the night work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me, that last little line. This is one of the benefits of not getting in a hurry when God shows us what he wants us to do. Of, of confining it to just a few trusted people that we have a conversation with. Of not rolling it out for public consumption. Prayerful patience with our plans. Like when we take that prayerful, pa patient approach. Prayerful patience with our plans results... In evidence that God is at work. By the time Nehemiah rolls out this vision, he's able to say to the people, Look, I know this is the first time you've heard of this. I know this is brand new to you, but let me tell you what's been happening the last few months. 
Like God allowed me to talk to the king. The king gave me letters. The king gave me all this timber. If you wonder where all that timber came from, that was God working through the king. I've been walking around the walls. This is what I've seen. God has been doing this. He's already in it. Right? That slow, patient, prayerful preparation allows us to say, let me tell you why I think God is in this. This and this, I've seen him do this, and I've seen him do this, and I've seen him do this. I believe we're supposed to do that. Here's the other thing. We're going to land here. Often being the leader means saying what everybody already knows and then doing something about it. Often being the leader is as simple as saying what everybody already sees and then calling everybody to action. We all see it. Like everybody knew the wall was down. The wall had been down for 150 years. People had been walking around the walls down for as long as they had been alive, some of them in Jerusalem. They knew the wall was... This was not new information. Sometimes being the leader is just saying, we all see it. Come on, let's stop acting like it's not here. We all see this problem. When are we going to do something about it? Max Dupree writes leadership books. Dupree says the first job of a leader is to define reality. First job of a leader is to define reality, to say, let's stop pretending this isn't a problem. We all see it, right? The elephant in the room idea. We all know it's there. Nobody wants to talk about it. We all see it. Who's going to do something about it? Look, being a leader in your family might be as simple as saying, you know, we all know that we do this. We probably should work on it. Being the leader in your marriage may be as simple as somebody saying, we know this is a problem in our marriage. Let's do something about it. Being a leader at your office, in your career, in your work, may be as simple as saying, Everybody sees it, but we keep having meetings as if nothing's going on and nobody brings it up. We keep circulating emails and nobody wants to say it. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, we all see the problem. When are we going to do something about it? Students, in your peer group. Sometimes being the leader is as simple as saying, we all know we're going to get in trouble if we do this. High school and college students, ask your parents. The times they made the biggest mistakes, they knew they were going to get in trouble before they ever started. Right? And nobody in the group said, hey, we all know this is going to end badly. Why don't we not do it? Sometimes being the leader 
is saying, we all see it. We all know it. When are we going to do something? If we put the numbers of children in need of foster homes in the state of Georgia up on the screen, we all would see it, right? And we don't have to put it up there. We we all know it. We all know this this is a problem. But there are some families in our church, in our community, in our state, in our there are some families who say, we all see it. We're going to do something about it. If only for one, we're going to do something about it. If, if you hear the story of an 18-year-old who ages out of foster care with no support system, you would be moved emotionally because we've heard those stories, right? We've seen the staggering figures of the number of 18-year-olds who age out of foster care with no relational connections in their life and they're told to go live their life. We all see it. We all see it. Pam Parrish, Connection Home, said, we all see it. We're going to do something about it. Anybody want to help me? If you think about homelessness and addiction in our community, we would all say, that's a problem. Michael Giddens, Four Winds, says, we all see it. We all know it's there. We're going to do something about it. People who serve with CASA, people who serve the poor, the under-resourced, the groups that we gave $30,000 to, Path Project, Walton Pregnancy Center. Those Those aren't new, novel, never been heard of problems in our community. None of those are. It's just that there's certain people who say, we all see it. We all know it. Some of us walk around it, and some of us do something. That's where Nehemiah is in chapter 2. We all see it. We all know the walls are down. I'm going to do something about it. Who's going to join me? What is that going to be for you? Right? We, we, we've said before, you, you can't rebuild every wall in the whole wide world. You can't. N- none of us can. But what is that spot that you know it, you see it, you know that other people know it, you know that other people see it, and God's saying to you, I want you to do something about it. In 2021, I want you to do something. I want you to rebuild something. I want you to step into something where the walls are down and do something. Because we all see it. We all see it. What is that going to be for you? Where is that happening in your life? I'm going to pick up a hammer. I'm going to stack some rocks on top of each other. And I'm going to rebuild something. Let's pray. God, Nehemiah challenges us 
And I think primarily because he doesn't just feel something and he doesn't even just pray about something. He plans and he does. He saw what everybody else saw and then he did something. Show us where that is for us. Show us where that is in our life, in our community. Show us what that calling is for each of us individually. That thing we've been stepping over, we've been walking around, we've been ignoring the prompting that your spirit has been giving to us. Help us not to ignore it anymore. Help us not to walk around it anymore. But to determine With God's help, I'm going to be a person that does something. We do not have the strength or the power or the resources, the energy, the the smarts to figure everything out. We need your spirit in this. We need your power. Because we're not just rebuilding walls, we're advancing the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus, the the glory of God in this world as you make all things new, as you rebuild. God, help us to join you in that effort in this world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.